the power of God in those meetings last week and so happy about all that that God did. Just many lives touched. People certainly were encouraged. And then that final night, they got to transition over past that gavel to Pastor Darrell. I became the president for two years, World Ministry Fellowship. So we thank the king that we get an opportunity to kind of set the vision for the next two years of conferences and things that we'd like to see the king to do, as well as the speakers. But, but God has shown himself faithful, and we're very, very glad about that. In uh, the month of September, if you've got free time on a, on a Friday night and a Saturday, which will be the 15th and the 16th of September, our church down there, Family Worship Center, will be hosting Andrew Womack. So we're looking for a good time down there. And we're expecting God to really minister to people in a powerful way. Some of you will remember Harry, Harry Jackson. He used to come here preaching a lot for us for a, a number of years. I said number of years, probably 20 years. He uh, directed the International Crusades for uh, Drs. T.L. and Daisy Osborne. But uh, they kind of surprised me, he and another friend of mine, and they drove down for the uh, meeting, the conference this past week, and I was kind of glad to see them. I hadn't seen Harry in a number of years, but he's still been traveling around the Oklahoma area. He said he felt like God shut him down three years ago and told him, don't do any traveling and preaching except right there in Oklahoma. He hasn't left that entire state. I said, well, how in the world did this happen? Because we've supported him monthly for over 20 years. He said he was preaching, I think, in Georgia, maybe. And he said there was a, a man there who was maimed. And Harry had just come off of a long fast. And he said he prayed for that man whose appendage was maimed. And he said there in that service, he said that appendage grew out. And he said he, he, he felt like God told him to just shut himself in and just really spend time with the king. So now he just doesn't go outside of Oklahoma. We're praying that the king would release him soon because we want to get him back here. I mean, we've had a lot of good meetings through the years with him here and in Red Cloud. And I think I even took him over to Alma a couple of times to to minister over there. But but the Lord is good and his mercy endures to every generation. Amen. Praise God. So it was a safe trip down there and back. Had a good time. We certainly covet your prayers. You know, come Thursday, we're off to Kenya. We bring all the four square church pastors together and the leaders for the apostolic church and we'll minister to them and train their preachers. And then at the end, they'll have a graduation. We'll do this for about six hours a day while we're there. And then on the Sundays, we'll be preaching in uh, the churches there. I know we'll be in one AG church. And then we'll also be in Bishop Erastus church. And uh, I'm glad that on this trip, my baby gets to go with me again. So that's that's going to be nice. See? It's good for me to take her with me so I can look after her. You know, I need to look after her. So that's very important. It might be in reverse. Maybe she's looking after me, but somebody. What's your favorite dish? What's whose favorite dish? 
her favorite dish in Kenya, her favorite dish in any country of the world are chicken tenders. She said, you can't mess up chicken tenders. It's universal. She says, it's hard to mess up some chicken tenders. So she doesn't get as excited as I do about the goat and all of that kind of stuff. I, I told them, uh, I think, you know, for the for the meal, you know, a lot of times anytime they have a graduation, then they want to have food to feed the whole village and stuff like that. So I don't know. They they may they may be butchering a water buffalo or something like that this time. If if uh, if they do, we'll have to send pictures if we have my wife sitting anywhere near some of that water buffalo meat. And we'll want you guys to know all about it. Well, we, we hear that the little fella here, Mr. Justice, had a birthday and he's turned the big eight. Eight? It's not eight? You sure it's ten? How do you know? Were you there when you were born? You were? Okay. Okay, so it's the big ten. Did we have any other birthdays or anniversaries? Any other birthdays or the power of God in those meetings last week and so happy about all that that God did. Just many lives touched. People certainly were encouraged. And then that final night, they got to transition over past that gavel to Pastor Darrell. I became the president for two years, World Ministry Fellowship. So we thank the king that we get an opportunity to kind of set the vision for the next two years of conferences and things that we'd like to see the king to do, as well as the speakers. But, but God has shown himself faithful, and we're very, very glad about that. In uh, the month of September, if you've got free time on a, on a Friday night and a Saturday, which will be the 15th and the 16th of September, our church down there, Family Worship Center, will be hosting Andrew Womack. So we're looking for a good time down there. And we're expecting God to really minister to people in a powerful way. Some of you will remember Harry, Harry Jackson. He used to come here preach a lot for us for a number of years. I said number of years, probably 20 years. He uh, directed the International Crusades for uh, Drs. T.L. and Daisy Osborne. But uh, they kind of surprised me, he and another friend of mine, and they drove down for the uh, meeting, the conference this past week, and I was kind of glad to see them. I hadn't seen Harry in a number of years, but he's still been traveling around the Oklahoma area. He said he felt like God shut him down three years ago and told him, don't do any traveling and preaching except for right there in Oklahoma. He hasn't left that entire state. I said, well, how in the world did this happen? Because we've supported him monthly for over 20 years. He said he was preaching, I think, in Georgia, maybe. And he said there was a, a man there who was maimed. And Harry had just come off of a long fast. And he said he prayed for that man whose appendage was maimed, and he said there in that service, he said that appendage grew out. And he said he, he, he felt like God told him just shut himself in and just really spend time with the king. So now he just doesn't go outside of Oklahoma. We're praying that the king would release him soon because we want to get him back here. I mean, we've had a lot of good meetings through the years. 
with him here and in Red Cloud. And I think I even took him over to Alma a couple of times to to minister over there. But but the Lord is good and his mercy endures to every generation. Amen. Praise God. So it was a safe trip down there and back. Had a good time. We certainly covet your prayers. You know, come Thursday, we're off to Kenya. We bring all the four square church pastors together and the leaders for the apostolic church. And we'll minister to them and train their preachers. And then at the end, they'll have a graduation. We'll do this for about six hours a day while we're there. And then on the Sundays, we'll be preaching in uh, the churches there. I know we'll be in one AG church, and then we'll also be in Bishop Erastus church. And uh, I'm glad that on this trip, my baby gets to go with me again. So that's that's going to be nice. See, it's, it's good for me to take her with me so I can look after her. You know, I need to look after her. So that's very important. It might be in reverse. Maybe she's looking after me, but somebody... What's whose favorite dish? Her favorite dish in Kenya, her favorite dish in any country of the world are chicken tenders. She said, you can't mess up chicken tenders. It's universal. She says, hard to mess up some chicken tenders. So she doesn't get as excited as I do about the goat and all of that kind of stuff. I I told them... uh, I think, you know, for the for the meal, you know, a lot of times anytime they have a graduation, then they want to have food to feed the whole village and stuff like that. So I don't know. They they may they may be butchering a water buffalo or something like that this time. If if uh, if they do, we'll have to send pictures if we have my wife sitting anywhere near some of that water buffalo meat. And we'll want you guys to know all about it. Well, we, we hear that the little fella here, Mr. Justice, had a birthday and he's turned the big eight. Eight? It's not eight? You sure it's ten? How do you know? Were you there when you were born? You were? Okay. Okay, so it's the big ten. Did we have any other birthdays or anniversaries? Any other birthdays or anniversaries? to teach, and we'll see what the king will say to us. I have... A passage in Acts chapter 2 that I want us to look at, but in a different way. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading with verse number 16. And I want to teach this evening about things you can expect to see or things you can expect in the last days. Things you can expect. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass. 
that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Father, for the next few moments, as I minister this word to your people, I pray that you give them ears to hear. And certainly, God, we're always open to divine interruptions, even as you did in Cornelius's house when Peter was teaching. But Lord, make our hearts good ground for the word we're about to sow into them right now. In Jesus' name, amen. The concept of the last days that is mentioned in verse 17 has its roots in Genesis 49. It's in that chapter, in verse 1, that Jacob called all his sons to himself and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, Jacob, of course, was in Egypt. Egypt was not his home. He was a pilgrim and a stranger there, yet in that particular country, God gave him foresight. And when God spoke to him about the future, he spoke to him not of the future of Egypt, but of the future of his own sons. So that is an indication early on that even though God may reveal what he wants, he only reveals what he wants you to know. And this is what happened with Jacob. Now, the king is omniscient. There's nothing God doesn't know. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. The scripture says he knows the numbers of hair on your head. And sometimes he gives his servants advance notice of things that are going to come to pass. Remember in Genesis chapter 15, the Bible says that Abram was told by God that his seed would go into Egypt and be there for four generations, 400 years. This was fulfilled during the days of Joseph. Let's not forget that the Lord said in Deuteronomy 3 that the children of Israel would go into the promised land. Moses never had that opportunity, but it was fulfilled in the time of Joshua. And Jeremiah 31 tells us that the new covenant was predicted where God would write his words upon the tables of our hearts, upon flesh rather than upon stone. This wasn't fulfilled until some 600 years later when our Savior then died on the cross and was raised from the dead. So advance notice can be given to servants and they are able to prophesy and declare what they see. This is what they did on several occasions. Sometimes the Lord can tell two different people the same thing. So in Isaiah chapter two, verse two, and in Micah chapter four, verse one, they both declared that one day the mountain of the Lord would be the place where all the nations would flow into. And in that last day, that hill called Zion would be a place of salvation. Two different prophets with the exact same wording, and God spoke to them both. Now, this this teaches us then that God can bring revelation to us that other people may not necessarily possess at that time. In Daniel 12, it says that he believed that at the last day or the time of the end, the dead would be resurrected. 
Now, there aren't a whole lot of people that believed in the resurrection. We know Abraham did. It says that in Hebrews chapter 11. But Jesus, of course, certainly had an eye for the last days and for the time of the end. And in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and in Luke 21, it tells it very clearly. He was in the temple with his disciples and they were in the treasury and they were watching people put in their offerings. Jesus made a statement about a, a woman who was very poor, said that woman gave more than everybody else because she gave out of what she did not possess. Everybody else had an abundance, but didn't give much in comparison with what she gave. And as they were exiting the temple, the disciples were marveling at the beauty of the stones of the temple. And Jesus said, one day, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. They didn't understand that. They had already spent nearly five decades trying to build that temple. So they asked Jesus three questions. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the world. And Matthew 24 and 25 are two chapters given to answering those three questions. Well, now, Jesus understood that in that place, the disciples needed an understanding of the last days. Now, I'm sure, and this certainly is a, a, a strongly held conviction of mine, I don't believe there's any teaching in scripture that inspires holy living or zeal for witnessing like the teaching of the coming of the Lord. If we honestly believed that it's a possibility that Jesus might come while I'm teaching or 10 minutes after I was done. Everybody in here would want me to hurry up and shut up so that they could get on their knees and prepare their hearts for the king. The fact that we know Jesus really is coming is why we push evangelism and missions and personal witnessing. The cash register attendant, the bank teller, the postal worker. The bus driver, the judge, the teacher, the homemaker, all of them are people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And if we believe there's a heaven to gain and a hell to lose, a heaven to enter into and a hell to shun, if we honestly believe that, that one day we'll have eternal bliss and other people will have eternal sorrow, then the fact that they're our cousin or our grandmother would not be an obstacle in witnessing to them. Because we'll realize that when they draw their last breath in this life, the next one they draw in the other life will be an unchanged position and condition. So Jesus taught these things regarding the end time, saying that in the last days, daughters would betray mothers, sons would betray sons, you would be persecuted, people would go to jail, folks would die, difficulties would come. And on the Mount of Olives, where he gave this Olivet Discourse, suddenly a great miracle occurred. Jesus began to levitate. And he was caught out of the sight of the disciples so that they were standing there gazing up into the skies. And suddenly some angels appeared 
This is all in Acts chapter one. And the angel said, why are you gazing up into the heavens? The same Jesus that went up is the same Jesus that's coming back. And from that moment, the apostles knew they had to continue the teachings that Jesus instilled in their hearts, letting people know that one day he is going to return. Now, it's interesting then that when Jesus ascended and made it to the right hand of the father after a few days, there's what is called the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel saw 800 years before Jesus ever ascended to heaven. And when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit occurred, 120 or so people began to speak with other languages. And it was under the power of God, under the inspiration of God. And the question then, when we look at verse number 17, then would be, when did the last days begin? Well, Peter is using Joel's prophecy to refer to these last days now with this occurrence, this happening. Joel was using it in reference to a period of time centuries later, although he didn't know how much later. In Hebrews chapter one, it says God, who in sundry times and in various manners spoke to us, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. So that means that we know at least the last days began with the appearance of Jesus the first time. That being the case, then I understand that what what Mr. Peter then is using Joel's prophecy to do is to predict what we can expect to occur right on up to the end. Now, this has a time stamp with regard to the last days, and it's the outpouring here on the day of Pentecost. He said, look, what Joel saw is beginning right now, right now. And, and the, the date of expiration for all of these things here, the visions, the dreams, the prophesying. The outpour, the date of expiration is right there in the final sentence of verse 20. The notable day of the Lord. The sun will become dark. The moon will be turned to blood. When is that going to happen, pastor? When the sixth seal is opened on the last day of the great tribulation period. Revelation 6 and 12 makes it very plain. I saw a great earthquake and then the sun was turned to darkness and the moon became to blood. Well, this means that from Peter's time here in verse 17 until the end of the age or the time of the end, you can expect all of these things right here. You can expect it to occur. Now, what is some of these things we can expect? Notice verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm telling you right now, right until the very end of time, people are going to be getting saved. People are truly going to be converting to Christ. And when I say getting saved, I'm not saying folks are going to be going to church. There are a lot of people who go to church who are not even Christian or not even born again. I'm saying that the gospel is going to be preached. People will repent of their sins. Regeneration will take place. There will be a magnificent change in their heart. So there will be changes in behavior and changes in attitude. And this is going to happen as quickly as it did in the book of Acts chapter 2. Thousands of people got saved and changed just like that. 
I'm not talking about long term salvation where you read these books of Puritans and they're agonizing trying to get saved. And it's taken two months and 12 years to finally come to a place of assurance in the Bible. When they were saved, they were saved and changed immediately. Can you say amen? That's the Bible. So when we see then people coming to Christ, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. And if you're a Christian tonight and you truly gave your heart to Jesus Christ at some point or another, you then are a product of this prophecy in verse 21. You're a trophy of God's grace. And every time you witness to a loved one, every time you see someone march down an aisle on an old Billy Graham television show and you see people singing just as I am, they are entering into prophecy. They're fulfilling it. And even today, when people go around the world and hold large crusades, they're entering into prophecy. Several months ago, some of you came over to the Red Cloud Church when we had Chris Michelson there. And Chris showed a video before he spoke. And he holds these massive soul winning crusades in Pakistan. And some of them have 250,000 people at them. One video showed a Three quarters of a million people there. You saw it on the videos you watched. He gave the call for salvation. They were all sitting down on the ground. And he said, clearly, if you want to become a Christian and serve Jesus, stand to your feet. And in less time than it's taken for me to tell this, 120,000 people stood up wanting to be saved. See, that was the fulfillment of prophecy. And right up to the end, this is going to occur. Yeah, this this is what the scripture is telling us quite clearly here. Now, notice also then in verse 17, if people are going to be saved, you can expect there to be a continual outpouring of the spirit. Where just like on the day of Pentecost, people spake with other languages and tongues right up to the end. Doesn't matter. It's never going to change until the end. Just a few days ago, when we were in that service down in Texas, I gave a call for anybody who wanted to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. A man came down there, stood in front of me, began to weep and cry. I told him, you don't have to be nervous. Don't weep and cry. I said, here are some verses. This is what's going to happen to you when I lay my hands on you. There's a power going to come on you. And like a fountain springing up out of your lips, God's going to give you a stammering tongue. You're going to speak with other languages. And in front of everybody, I said to him, what's going to happen when I lay my hands on you? He said what I just said. In a few moments, I laid my hands on him in less than 15 seconds. He began to speak with other tongues in front of the congregation. Every time someone experiences this outpouring, it's a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. The day that you entered into it. It was a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. And if you're here tonight and you desire that you can enter 
into Joel's prophecy. All across the earth, it doesn't matter where it is, a person could be amongst the aboriginals, aborigine people of Australia, you can be in the jungles of the Amazon, you can be in Africa, you can be in the Scandinavian countries of Denmark and Sweden, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit can come to where you are. I had one of my lady preachers many years ago who was driving down the road. I think she stopped at a light and the person on the radio was talking and she said in her heart, talking to God, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And right there riding down the road, God filled her with the Holy Spirit. In the last days, Joel said, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now that's young flesh, old flesh. Fat flesh, skinny flesh, black flesh, white flesh, red flesh, yellow flesh, Asian flesh, Hispanic flesh. It doesn't matter. All flesh is suitable as a habitation for the spirit of God. That's the Bible. Okay, then. So so it also says now that that your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men dream. So now we're seeing that God will use young and old people. How often have people grown older and thought that God wasn't talking to them or communicating with them anymore? And, and you've seen people that that you've seen these sometimes these evangelical churches or evangelical preachers. They'll say when the last apostle died, that stopped. And there's no more visions and baptism and all of that. But then my question to them is very simple. If that is true, Joel's prophecy, which I showed you, starts in verse 17, comes down to verse 21. If folks are still being saved in his prophecy, why is the rest of it no longer applicable today? Why do you get to cherry pick The occurrences and the topics or subjects in the prophecy. The scripture says until the last day, these things will be taking place. So what am I expecting? I'm expecting old people to stand up and testify what God's been showing them. It doesn't surprise me at all when a young person tells me, oh, pastor, I had a dream last night. I really believe God was talking to me. God can talk to a kid. He spoke to Samuel when he was just a little boy. Samuel didn't understand it. Sometimes mama and daddy or a guardian has to give them the kind of insight that they need to understand what God is saying. But it's clear here. He says, your young men shall see visions. Your old men dream dreams. Let me give you an example. In spring 1993, I was in Paris, France, preaching. I was still in the Marine Corps at the time. <clears throat> but I had some time off and was doing some studying. And so I, I, I fell asleep on the floor where I was studying. And when I went to sleep, I had a vision. And in the vision, I saw all of these mountains and stuff. And I'm sitting up on one of them and I'm looking down in this plain and, and I could tell I'm looking at Palestine or Israel. What's the dream? You know, I'm asleep. I had a dream. And in the dream standing next to me was was someone that I intuitively knew was an angel. 
And so I look down there at Israel with smoke and fires and all this stuff going on. You got to remember 1993. This is back when they were having bus bombings and all of that stuff taking place. And I said, there's something always happening in Israel. And that angel looked at me and said, there is always something happening in Israel, but Israel's about to be divided into two so that the Palestinians have their own place and the Jewish people have their own place. That was spring 1993. And I'm glad I wrote it down on the piece of paper and held all that stuff that I had. But you know what happened in September 1993? They had the Oslo Accords with Mr. Clinton. Rabin and Arafat signed a piece of paper and the world found out that they had been meeting for months and nobody even knew it. I didn't even know it. All I had was a dream. So I'm telling you that that your young men shall see visions. I was only 22 years of age at the time. But God can talk to anybody whenever he wants to. He can speak clearly even if other people don't understand it. So notice also, it says your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Sons and daughters, male and female. So the Spirit of God is not hindered by gender. Sons and daughters. Now you might say, well, well that, that means preaching. Well, I'm sure in, in, in some way, shape, or form, some people minister in such a way that that, that there's an element of prophecy in their teaching, but most preaching and teaching that I hear, there's no prophecy at all in it. But I am telling you that God, by the power of the Holy Ghost, can inspire divine utterance that comes up out of you, and the Spirit of God can cause you to speak things and declare things you could not know apart from God being in you, giving you those, those words. Spirit of prophecy. Gift of prophecy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now, there are far too many instances that I could give of, of something like this, but I will tell you that I've got a, a friend who pastors in California, and he had a man in his church that was slowly wasting away with cancer. And when I say wasting away, I mean... He had the kind of cancer in his mouth and stuff that he ended up having to get one of those trachs in his throat. So you had to put your finger over the hole just to be able to make a whisper. So he didn't he couldn't talk, wasn't able to talk, certainly didn't have a voice like you're listening to right now. But he was in that church service in Chino, California. And in the middle of that service, when he had stood Wasting away, very feeble, very slim and emaciated. He asked for prayer in that church with a few hundred people. And the people gathered around him, laid hands on him and just began to pray. But there was an older lady who was there who came and stood beside him, gave an utterance in tongues and then interpreted and said, thus saith the Lord, you will live and not die. That's what she said in the church in front of everybody. Well, like I said, he was dying. He was wasting away. <clears throat> a couple of days later, somebody went to his his house and he answered the door and he's and he answered the door and basically said, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Well, he still had the hole in his throat. 
But his voice was absolutely normal. They said, how in the world are you speaking without you putting your hand over that hole? He said, I don't know. But he said, no, I woke up and my voice was healed. Well, little by little, he, he got better. He got stronger. And when they had only given him several months to live, he's still alive. And the head usher over there at that church and totally healed with no cancer in his body. There wasn't any treatment at all after that prophecy of any chemo. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Again, people say, well, I don't know, Pastor. Because after all, you know, a lot of these things have seemed to me like they passed away. They may have passed away in your life. They may have passed away in your thinking. They hadn't passed away in Joel's prophecy. And all around the earth where people still hold to this, they're still seeing people saved. They're still seeing people filled. And wonderful, supernatural things are taking place. Visions, dreams. I think I told you about a pastor that I knew in Turkey many years ago. Here was a man that was a Muslim, had made the trip to Mecca on the pilgrimage. And he gets to Mecca and there's this super huge black stone that everybody marches around. And in that tradition, you have to pick up a rock and throw it at the stone as a symbol of your attack on Satan. He's walking around with hundreds of thousands, maybe I should even say thousands of millions because the pilgrimage has more than 10 million people that go all the time there. But he's walking around. He looks up and on top of the black stone, there stands Jesus. And Jesus says to him, I'm Jesus and I want you to receive me and I want you to go back home and I want you to preach me to all of your friends. And when I met him in 1992, he had been a pastor then, probably for some 10 years. Isn't that amazing? That God keeps on doing the things that everybody says God doesn't do anymore. That God keeps changing and saving people when everybody keeps saying God doesn't do that anymore. So it's clear then that this is going to take place right on up until the end And this is what Peter said. Now, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter four. And I want you to see a few other things that you can expect in the last days. First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning with verse 13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That you sorrow not as others which have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then what's also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, verses 13 and 14 are very clear. God doesn't want us to be ignorant about how believers die in Christ. You need to know what happens when a Christian dies. When a Christian dies, his spirit goes to heaven to be with the king. When an unbeliever dies, they go to hell. When we go to heaven, We need to understand that that is a time of joy and happiness and excitement. Anyone who ends up in hell, it's a time of agony, anguish, torment and pain. This is why we don't sorrow like people which have no hope. Ephesians tells us that at one time we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the promises of God in this world without hope because we didn't have Christ without hope. But if you have Christ, you have hope. 
Now, I preached a few funerals for people who were unbelievers when they died. And I'm going to tell you right now, I understand why people are weeping and crying the way they're weeping and crying and sometimes wailing. Because they have no idea where this person is gone. The ones who do know something about God know exactly where they've gone. And they know they'll never see him again. It doesn't matter how much water mom and dad put on them or how much water some preacher put on them. If they didn't live the life of Jesus Christ and live and exhibit the grace of the king, they were not born again. We're not born again. But for us that are that are lovers of Jesus, when when we pass away and we have a funeral, ours is a celebration of life. Ours is a home going service. I know we still use the word funeral, but understand what it means. We're getting together to celebrate the fact that even though we've got this body down here, they long ago entered into the presence of the king. And the funeral then is not for the decedent. It's for all the family and everybody else that's there. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that. Notice verse 14. Here's what we believe. You need to know what you believe. Here's what we believe. Jesus died. That's the crucifixion. Rose again. That's the resurrection. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with them. That tells us where the believers have gone to heaven. You can see also in verse 16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. That's where he is. So verse 15 says, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, see, alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. This tells us that from the time Paul wrote this until the Lord returns, there will be people on this earth who believe in the crucifixion, who believe in the resurrection, and who know that the saints that die are going to heaven. Now, you may say, well, hold on, Pastor. There there are plenty of people in this world who deny a belief in the resurrection. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not Christian. He said your faith is in vain. You can come to church a thousand times. If you deny the resurrection, you're not saved. You can sign the card at the church, join the church, shake everybody's hand, and we can all sing, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on everlasting arm and take you and receive you into membership in the church. But if you deny the resurrection, you are not in the kingdom of God. That's what Paul said. I didn't write that. Paul said that. Okay, well, you can see in verse number 17, The scriptures speak of the people that are alive and remain. They'll be caught up together. Three words, caught up together. Say those words with me. Caught up together. That's the rapture. That's the catching away of the saints. Now, there are people who deny that there is a rapture. And. From time to time, I end up in fellowship with them, sometimes end up preaching in their churches. And they don't believe that there's any catching away of the saints. They think it's a little bit of hocus pocus and people have made up that belief and that it's a recent belief. But I have found that people who hold to those opinions generally rarely teach verse by verse through the book of Revelation or through First and Second Thessalonians, because it's impossible to not see it in Thessalonians. Every chapter of First and Second Thessalonians talks about the coming of the Lord. Every chapter. It's impossible to not see it. 
Let me give it to you this way also, because they'll, they'll say things like this. Well, we all have to go through the tribulation. We all have to experience the wrath that God's going to pour out. Look at First Thessalonians chapter five and notice verse nine. First Thessalonians five and verse nine. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain what? Salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Quickly in your Bible, turn to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. And I want to read verse number nine. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? Wrath through him. Wrath. Everybody say that word. Wrath. Notice I've given you two verses where the scripture says because of our salvation, we're delivered from wrath. Turn to Revelation chapter 6, the last book of your New Testament. Revelation chapter 6, and I want to begin reading with verse 12. I've already referred to verse 12, but I want to read it for you now. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. That's part of Joel's prophecy. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when, he sh- when she's shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman, every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. That's because of the six seals that have been opened. Verse 16, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And from what? The wrath of the lamb. Verse 17, for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? I have already shown you through the scriptures. This period of time is not for us. Now, if you sit here today and you say, well, I, I just don't know. I mean, I'm still not sure there, there, there's a rapture and I just have to go through the great tribulation. Then according to your faith, be it unto you. But Pastor Daryl and his wife taking, taking the first Airbus out of here. We're gone. We're going to be caught up together. That's what the Bible teaches, you see. And, and we should never move away from that. Now, coming back to 1 Thessalonians 4, notice again, verse 17. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. So you can expect there to be Christians on the planet when Jesus returns to catch away the saints. Caught up together is the word we have in English for raptured. Now, if you had a Latin Bible and if you could read Latin, you would see in this verse you have the word raptus, which is how we get the word rapture. If you had a Greek New Testament and could read Greek, you would see that transliterated, the Greek word is the word rapture. That tells me that when a person says the word rapture is not in the Bible, they don't know what they're talking about. It just depends on what Bible you're reading. See, that's all. What Bible you're reading. But we know from Scripture what's going to happen. And I'll tell you. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. According to this right here in verse 16, he's going to descend from heaven one day with a shout with the voice of the archangel. When he descends, every saint that is in glory is descending with him. 
into the skies. That means people under the old covenant that were saved on the basis of the hope in God through the sacrifices. And then everybody post Calvary who's saved by faith because of Christ's sacrifice. They're going to descend in the skies with the Lord. And according to first Corinthians 15, they're going to be people all over the place going back to their resurrection sites or grave sites or places where they died. You say, pastor, what happened to the, the bodies of the people that were in the ocean and, the, and a shark or a whale or something devoured them. Or they were burnt up in a home and, and there's nothing left but ashes. Remember, he that began in the beginning with nothing but dust and made man can reconstitute it all over again. And so all of that's going to be happening quickly. I'm talking, talking about in less time than it takes a ray of light to bounce off your retina. And then we, which are down here on planet Earth, we're suddenly going to be gathered together with all of them with renewed bodies to be with him in glory. And the Bible says we use that story to comfort one another and to strengthen one another. The rapture is real. The rapture is going to take place. And the Bible says to him that looks for him, will he appear the second time without sin unto salvation? And it's going to be lovely. Somebody's going to be out in a field on a tractor. And I'm telling the satellite's going to miss all of that. They're going to disappear. Somebody's going to be rolling down the road. There are going to be people in that car. They're going to be holding a conversation. And the passenger's going to disappear. You better believe it. I could be up here preaching. Then all of a sudden we are just whisked away in the presence of the king. And whoever's left behind can come back and hear this message. But for us that are gone. We will forever be with the king. See? But while we're here, we want to do everything we can to walk in God's love, God's grace, God's blessing, God's power, and enjoy all the benefits that he's provided for us. Because even if they destroyed killed and murdered Christians in villages all over Nebraska and Kansas. They're never going to eradicate Christianity from the world because Paul already prophesied until the king comes, there'll be somebody here that believes. And I'm telling you that number is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day. Things you can expect in the last days. What do you want from God? What kind of a heart do you have for God? Do you want God to touch you physically and heal you? Are you really interested and hungry for God to fill you as he did those in the Bible? Are you concerned that God would talk with you and minister to you through his book and give you the word that he wants you to have? I'm telling you, he can do whatever you want him to do if you can believe for him to do it. Joel never knew that he was looking at our generation. And of all generations to be alive, folks, I'm telling you, this is a good time to be alive. Yeah, we're seeing wonderful things in the earth. I'm impressed by God every day. The marvels, the, the things that he does that leaves us scratching our head to be able to keep falling in love with him. That song you were playing earlier, uh, he's worthy of it all. Go ahead and play that, play that for us again. But, but I want us to just take a few moments 
And I want us to worship the king. And there's anybody tonight wanting to be anointed with oil. We want to pray for you. If, if you're needing special prayer, we want to agree with you and ask God to help you. You'll never know. God may very well have a word for you to provide some insight and direction for your life. If you're wanting God to touch you and fill you with the Holy Spirit, then let tonight be your night. He fills the kids. He fills the elderly. He just needs a heart that's hungry for God. That's all he needs. Yeah. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Praise God. Yeah, you can play it now. You can play that now. 